0: Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey, friends, it's Rena Olson with the Relevate Podcast. Welcome to another episode designed to inspire and uplift you. So, today I have a treat for you. I have Will Acuff and Shayna Berkeley from the nonprofit Corner to Corner in Nashville. Corner to Corner is, I'll let them tell you the story of it, but it all started with a restlessness in Will's and his wife's heart to really radically love neighbor as self. So what has transpired since that time? It's just amazing. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Awesome. Will Acuff and Shayna Berkeley, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you,
1: Thank you for you. having us.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I am so excited to have you both here uh, to share your personal stories of how we kind of got here, and also to learn more about the amazing organization that you're both involved with called Corner to Corner. It is um, such a light and such a great example for people to learn from, and I'm just really super excited to share this story. So gosh, thank you both for being here.
1: Yeah, we're glad to be here. Thank you for having us.
0: Oh, absolutely. So Will, let's start with you. The initial journey started with you and your wife and kind of the call on your heart to really do something. So if you can unpack that a little bit, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a, a long, a really long, and then a, a truncated version of this story. Um, the, the Yeah, the truncated version is... Um, uh, my wife and I moved to um, a historically low-income um, community in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, man, at this point, was that a little over 13 years ago, 14 years ago? Something like that. It's getting misty at this point, blurry depths of my mind. Um, and we really moved here with the, a lot of questions, um, specifically, if Jesus um, lived this way, right? If the, the way that we see him living in the gospel is the way that we see Um, really the whole biblical story of um, uh, moving into the margins, um, loving neighbor as self, uh, a deep concern for what I would describe as biblical justice. Mm -hmm. Um, We both felt like we had learned some good truths growing up and being part of churches, but we hadn't gotten the theology of love of neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, That was usually, you know, boxed in as like a short-term mission trip, or equated with love of neighbor equals evangelism only or something
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, coming out of kind of the the subculture that we came out of. Um, And so we moved into this neighborhood really with questions. What does it look like to love neighbor as self? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we came in as learners. Um, Right away, my wife, she was like, I'm gonna dive full in. Um, She is an amazing woman. And she became a former offender job training specialist working behind bars at the men's prison here in Nashville. Um, really helping former offenders to transition back to the community um, so that they were able to get what we might call um, right now jobs that were an anchor um, Mm -hmm. in the storm of transitioning back, just one little anchor of stability. Uh, And what we found living in the community is that um, those neighbors who were coming home um, were our physical neighbors. They lived down the block. They lived next door. uh, And over our time, just our house became a place where um, uh, folks were hanging out. It became a place of peace and safety and welcome. Uh, so we, you know, we put a little free library in the front yard for kids. We had toys on the porch. We used to uh, recreate the NBA playoffs on Xbox and offer like a $50 cash prize you know, to teenagers in the neighborhood. And if you want to see focused teenagers, like offer money for video games. Uh, and over time, just organically relationships were forming. Um, but we really, at, at one point, we had volunteered for all sorts of stuff that was happening in the community but we saw that the programming was good, but the relationships didn't last um, and realized that in the nonprofit culture, really, there was this vibe of programs are the point. Um, And we were really wrestling with, shouldn't relationship be the point? Um, Believing that relationship is where long-term life transformation happens, right? It's why the church actually cares about getting together. It's Mm. why they care about things like accountability and being in each other's lives and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Um, And a program doesn't do that, right? Um, Relationships do that. And so we were planning and praying back in 2011 about whether the Lord, you know, is calling us into starting something. And we felt affirmed in that. And uh, so now 10 years ago, we launched Corner to Corner um, with a bunch of different kind of things in the DNA of the organization that we can get into. But um, one of the biggest ones was um, we are going to do this in partnership with the community. And so we went to our local rec center and said, hey, what can we do together? Um, and just started having these um, kind of dialogues and learning sessions um, versus what, you know, the historical kind of vibe, especially in Christian nonprofits, which has been like, I'm gonna build a building or Mm -hmm. I'm gonna build the thing and then I'm gonna market to the community to come to us, you know, and it's usually on our terms. Mm -hmm. We started from the other kind of posture of what are we gonna do together? And we're gonna submit to your space and your keys to the building and all those things. Fast forward 10 years, we now have uh, three kind well, of areas. I'm sorry yeah. to stop yeah.
0: you, but uh-huh. how, did you, how did you guys kind of figure all this out? Was it, um, I mean, cause because a lot of what you're doing is not intuitive. I mean, yeah,
1: so- yeah. I mean, well, so, I, I mean, big credit to, we were involved in a local church um, that was very focused on local ministry um, in terms of, oh, sorry. Shana just pointed out that my mic is rubbing. Let me see if I can. Thank you, Shana.
2: I was trying to do it on the break, but didn't, didn't happen. We part
1: of a church community that really felt like your time and your treasure should be going to um, your local community. And they would say that from the pulpit all the time like, we've got two zip codes that, that our stuff is going toward. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really uh, important in our framing. And then the Christian Community Development Association. John Perkins and that crew of leaders. Um, Tiffany and I got really involved um, reading the books, going to the conferences, um, really trying to learn. Uh, and the heart posture of, we need to step away from uh, more of like a paternalistic um, mindset, um, you know, in some would even say a colonial mindset of like, we could fix this if you just listen to what I say. Um, uh, and it's a little bit like, You know, from a business standpoint, it'd be like you saying, "I don't need to listen to my clients; I just tell them what to buy, and they buy it." Mm -hmm. Right? No business has ever succeeded um, with that posture, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But in a lot of ways, that was the posture of ministry that we were seeing. Um, And so, yeah, several wise people that we were able to sit at the feet of, um, and then realizing really early on that um, there are things that can move at the speed of business or the speed of efficiency, right? Like you want to have a good chart of accounts or a functioning board, right? Um, But other things need to move at the speed of relationship. Uh, And so establishing that as a core identity and then resisting the pull into efficiency mindset in those areas, you know?
0: You know, I love the fact that you guys moved into the neighborhood. And didn't you tell me you kind of started building those relationships with the kids by putting a box of toys on the front porch?
1: Yeah, we had um, boxes of toys on the front porch, free library in the front yard. I mean, uh, we were already in relationship with neighbors for years before Corner to Corner started. Um, Mm -hmm. So there was no, um, hi, I'm Will, nice to meet you vibe, you know, when we started Corner to Corner. In fact, when the very first program Um, that we launched was Tiffany's former Fender job training course for free at the local rec center because that's what the staff wanted to bring to the rec center Mm -hmm. and it was you know in our neighborhood right around the corner from our house Uh, but we already knew a ton of the kids who were down there yeah Uh, and actually word got out about the class in part because of the relationship we already had with these other neighbors Um, so it wasn't like a cold sale, you know what I mean um, it was much more this slow, steady drip of familiarity. Um, and we talk about it here as the Ministry of Consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, there is no magic trick. Um, there is show up with a learner's posture and and really embracing the humility of Christ um, and do that day in, day out and then see what God does in a decade. Mm.
0: Just so good, so good. I just love the way you approached it from, from kind of... Um, A very different direction. That a lot of well-meaning nonprofits and churches, you know, they're every most everybody is well-meaning. But I think you really um, you came at it from a different direction, from the relational standpoint. And um, yeah, I think that's so awesome. So um, in a previous conversation, you said the gospel lived out is an adventure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Share more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a big touchstone for Tiffany and I in our marriage, actually. Um, I would say I was on a trajectory, um, I thought I'd go to college and then go to seminary. Um, But in college, I took a sidetrack, getting obsessed with playing in rock and roll bands. Um, And I was doing that um, a lot coming out of college. Uh, But uh, I was fortunate enough to go on a trip with an epidemiologist from the University of North Carolina and his wife, who's a general practitioner, and we went to Nairobi um, to learn what the church was doing in the face of the AIDS pandemic. And mm-hmm. for six months prior to that that trip, we met at their house every single Sunday, and we read doctrinal papers, we read economic papers, we understood things about how policy in one area of the world affects, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to the nuances and the complicated factors that go into. Um, Not just global poverty, but local poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, And then going to Nairobi. I mean, it's a classic story. Naive white kid from, you know, uh, the U.S. goes, visits another country and suddenly realizes that poverty is real, right? Like, it's kind of a trope at this point. Um, But that's what happened. And when I came back, I was so destroyed. Like, my worldview was gone. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Lord very gently met me in that and was walking with me and restoring me, but building something new. And Mm -hmm. that's when I met Tiffany, uh, my wife. And um, in our early dating, we just kept talking about this idea that like, if you're going to believe this crazy story, it's not an invitation to comfort. It's an invitation to adventure. Um, And as long as you're having the mentality of like, um, I want the controlled, you know, the climate controlled bite-sized life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can have that, um, but it's not going to be full Um, of the kind of edge of your seat excitement that I think the gospel invites us into.
0: Mm, That's so amazing. Okay, well, let's pause your story. And I can't wait to hear more from Shana Berkeley. So, hey, please, um, please jump in there and kind of give us your, you know, your brief story of how we got here to today. Well, I was, you know,
2: born on a plane as my
0: mom was jumping
2: out of it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> you know, I gotta make it exciting comparatively to Will's. No, I was I'm actually from Atlanta. Um, I am the youngest of three and have always been a pretty autonomous child <laughs> to my mom's, I don't know, credit. She she really helped me out there. But um, and when I was probably about 13, I just felt like God was telling me like it's more to life than this very
1: comfortable,
2: mm-hmm. happy childhood Um, and not not necessarily in the sense of discomfort. But I just I wanted to I had done it all. You know, I had older siblings. So it was the thing of. I was in the homecoming court in like ninth grade. I had done all the things and I was like, I'll just, I need something different. Mom was like, what, what is it that you need? So we started looking at different schools. Um, and I decided to go to a college boarding school in Chattanooga called the Baylor School. And that is really where I grew a relationship with God on my own. You know, I was not necessarily under my mom's roof, but I obviously had to follow her rules and went to church and kind of learned about who God was for myself and was gaining this independence and this voice um, and really learned about the type of woman that I wanted to be and the the type of leader that I wanted to be and had lots of opportunities to either shrink or to really flourish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and God kind of gave me the confidence in that to really flourish and and to speak my mind and to become, it's like, say how I felt, you know, and after that, I went to college, I went to Vanderbilt. That's how I got to Nashville. And Mm. my senior year of college, I was like, okay, what am I going to do after I graduate? (laughs) What am I actually going to do? And so I decided to try law school. I was like, I'm just going to try it if I don't like it. My mom was like, you don't have to stay. You know, the thing I love about my mom is she never made me feel like any decision was finite. She always was like, you get changed. You can change your mind. Um, You don't have to be what everybody wants you to be I want you to just figure out who you are so I went to the um, Belmont College of Law and graduated law school passed the bar practiced law for a couple of years and when I was practicing law I found that I was kind of lonely I was the youngest person that was at my the I worked for the state of Tennessee I was the youngest person there everybody else was married with kids and if they hung out it was couple dates or play dates and I was like I just got a law school I need friends I want to go out and have a good time and so um I did what everybody does right I made a new year's resolution to work out so I went to yeah that's that's like the thing to do so I was like all right I'm gonna work out I went to the gym and of course you need good music so I sat down to turn on the playlist and some kind of way I found myself on Facebook which is the which is literally what happens normally if you let your you know you let yourself get a little idle, you end up on social media. And I saw an ad um from Mignon Francois, of the Cuphead Collection, about a business class, and I was like, well, that kind of sounds cool because the way that I was actually creating community at my job was people would come to my office every day to see what I was wearing. They liked my outfits. They were surprised at how high my shoes were. You know, I was not a Navy suit kind of girl. And so- We that are
1: still was, surprised. Yeah, we're still surprised. surprised. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see those shoes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I have a bunch of them over here, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm always, you know, wanted to just be myself. I was not the Navy suit kind of L'Oreal. I was the pink heels. Um, And so that's kind of how I made community at work was just wearing not outrageous stuff in the sense of inappropriate, but really bold things um, that nobody in my office would wear. And they were always impressed with. And so I decided I was going to start like a business. I was like, I'll start like a fashion business or something. And I enrolled in Corner to Corner and I took the class. Will was actually my facilitator, um, and and Willing, a woman named Cookie. And they taught me about business, but more so about you know, community and and loving well and being thoughtful in your decision-making. And I was already a pretty legalistic, logical kind of person because that was my day job. But this really incorporated in that plus creativity and that plus fun and my classmates were awesome. And so after I graduated from that program, I was still growing my business. I still have a business called The Fashion Chase. And then I started volunteering with Corner to Corner just doing some videos and sharing news. And I enrolled so many people in the program because I would talk about, like, you guys should do this. And professional people were like, oh, I never thought about, you know, having a side hustle. And I have a lot of friends who were single and had a lot of downtime and were really mm-hmm. trying to find community identity. And so that was a good way for them to get connected. And then Will was like, do you want to go to lunch? And I don't care how much money I make, I'm always down for a free lunch. <laughs> <So I don't laughs> let's
1: go. Uh, That was her first mistake.
2: You know, and I've been making them every day since. And so he took us, took me to lunch and he asked me about my story. And I was like, this is interesting. But I told him about, you know, how I kind of found God and where I am with that love walk and what I like about my job and what I dislike. And we had a, a full conversation. And then he said, well, I've been praying about, you know, maybe you taking over the academy. And in my mind, I was thinking, he can't afford me. <laughs> I am, I am not an affordable kind of person, and so I, I did what every good Christian does. I said, "Let me pray about it," yeah. <laughs> and then I, and so we went on and and yeah. Had and lunch. that,
1: by the way, let me pray about it is Christian context for no, but yeah. I just want to be polite.
2: Yes, that's that's what Christians say, and then you say after that that the Lord didn't lead me to this. That's really yeah, you yeah. You
1: blame that. you blame your decision on God. Yep, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah,
2: and I was I was sure, I had only been practicing law for maybe three and a half years. I was sure that God would say no because I have student loans. I have, and, and, and law school was not easy. I worked my butt off in law school to get good grades, to get a good job. And I was just sure that God wouldn't want me to abandon that so soon. So I did pray about it because I was sure of his answer. I told my mom, she was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that's nice of him to think so highly of you. We're going to pray about it. God's going to say no. Everybody's going to move on. And I, after I started praying about it, God started showing me places at my job that I was discontent and I didn't like, and I had grapes and I'm not a complaining type of person. I'm definitely a problem solver, mm-hmm. but I just felt like a, a complainer and just, and I was like, God, what is, what is going on? Mm-hmm. So I went to my boss at where I practice because her and I were also friends. And I was telling her like, I think God is wanting me to do this and I don't. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm making the right decision. And she told me, "If you get there, you hate it. I'll hire you again. You're a good lawyer. You know the. You know what we do. I'll rehire you." So if I you wanna... didn't know that at the time. By the way, yeah, this I, conversation
1: I... would have felt deeply <coughs> insecure for me.
2: <laughs> you don't show all your hands at the same time. You uh, all your cars at the same time. But yeah, I, I'm. I was a lawyer. We always have a plan B. So I go to her and I talk about it and she's like, I'll rehire you. You know, you're, you're easy, you're flexible, blah, blah. And, and kind of just made me feel like life will go on and you'll have something to do because I have bills to pay. Okay. (laughs) I couldn't just, in my mind, I couldn't just walk on this limb. Anyway. So I quit my job, um, my law job in January of 2019. I started with corner to corner January 15th and a couple of weeks ago I Celebrated two year work anniversary, and I always see her, and she's like, I guess you're not coming back, huh? I'm like, nah, <laughs> I think I'm good. But um, so that really is kind of what brought me around to corner to corner. And it was, you know, in hindsight, I see a lot of God winks in that, but it wasn't, you know, I'm not from Nashville, so it wasn't that God was kind of tilling the soil of community work or helping me understand community work. I think it was the fact, for me, it was the opposite. They got constantly took me into places where I felt uncomfortable, where I was the only black person. I was the only woman um, that I constantly had to remind people of my intellects or my ability. Mm-hmm. And before they really saw me as maybe worthy, as, maybe that's not the best word, but that's kind of how it felt to me mm-hmm. and really pushed me to speak up for myself. And so that's why Will and I really make a, a good team because I definitely say how I feel. And, and with the heart and the compassion and then he does as well so we really play off of each other well to to say what's best for our community at this time and sometimes we disagree and sometimes we agree but our heart is always to want to amplify the voice and the message of our community members and in their humanity as well well
0: and you know just um you know, the state of our our country and um, the racial tension that exists. I mean, it's so so heartbreaking for so many of us. And I I just think what you guys are doing at Corner to Corner is a model of what is possible for other communities. So it just makes me so excited. I mean, super cool that it's there in Nashville. So if you both can kind of unpack some of the programs that are offered, Through corner to corner, I mean, how you've kind of been able to um, to create those relationships and to create significant change in 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 your community. I just would love to learn more about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll give a little bit of background and context, um, and then um, Shana can go in detail on the academy. Um, but we, so again, we started out of that rec center, you know, with a relationship focus, and so we were really fine with things moving. Um, slowly and organically, um, and this was my my wife still had her day job in the prison. I still had my day job in tech. I was going to seminary at the time as well, uh, so we it had was lots of things. Side to... hustle. What What did you say? Yeah. So it was your side
0: hustle in the yes,
1: beginning. Yes, yes. This was our you know we were funding it out of our own you know um, salaries from our day jobs. Um, but what ended int- what ended up happening is very naturally we kind of coalesce coalesced around um, economic equity and educational equity um, mm-hmm. with an underlying um, theme of spiritual growth. Um, and so w- what I mean by that is um, on the educational equity, it was finding fun ways to help the kids fall in love with reading, not mm-hmm. trying to replicate what was happening at school, but really sparking a love in reading um, and experimenting with that, really. Like s- starting from day one going, oh, we're just doing one-on-one reading tutoring. Wow, this is failing. What else could we try? You know. Um figuring out what worked. And where we've come to now on the education side is we've got um, two what we describe as like marquee programs, script to screen, which helps mm-hmm. kids fall in love with reading through their love of movies. They watch Black Panther and read the script at the same time, mm-hmm. connecting the dots to this thing they love started on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen like a four- year old see a magic trick for the first time, this look of like shock like this exists in the world. Uh, these junior high kids, who are usually like, if you've been around a seventh grader lately, they're like, I've seen it all, I'm so jaded, right? Uh, They have this moment where they're reading dialogue and then it happens on the screen and they're like, what, that just happened? Um, And you see this joy start to form. And then we teach them how to write their own scripts, rising, falling action, character development. We bring in all these talented creators from Nashville to teach them about the cameras and the lighting techniques and they write their own script and then um, produce their own short YouTube movie that ends with a red carpet premiere. Um, it is so, so much fun. Um, and then we we have another program called Hope Bakes, where we use the um, kind of small galley type kitchens that are at a lot of the local rec centers and family resource centers um, to teach kids sneaky math skills while they follow recipes and uh-huh. make things like taki brownies. Which if you're an adult, I would not recommend that you try a Taki Brownie. But again, if you're in seventh grade, you're like, this is the best thing in the universe. Um, and they get to work with each other, learn about the kitchen, develop kitchen independence, um, mm-hmm. while at the same time developing, you know, their their math and reading skills. Um, so on the education side, that those are the programs. But yeah. the why so very behind that,
0: hands-on, interactive, you know, yes. creativity. It's not just all like knowledge, it's um,
1: yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah. And really where that's coming from, so we're big into research and data. Part of my previous life was I was a research analyst at Duke University for a number of years, and we've brought that into our work. Um, and there's a lot of debate about the best way to teach a kid how to learn um, in the education system, but there's near universal agreement on the idea that if you can help a kid fall in love with it and gain their interest, then mm-hmm. all the other stuff is gonna naturally build and flow. And we just know that from our own experience, right? If you love something, you do more of it. Um, and so we, we are trying to do that on the education side and specifically because um, right now in Nashville, two thirds of our publicly educated kids are not reading at grade level. This is a massive literacy crisis by any measurement. And simultaneously, literacy is the biggest predictor, um, educationally at least, uh, whether a kid will get caught up in the school to prison pipeline. Um, and then when you take into the uh, effect that Nashville right now um, has the highest incarceration rate per capita in the United States, um, we have built a conveyor belt, you know, that launches kids into this system. Um, and then we wonder why it keeps happening. Um, and so we we really think that, um, you know, Corner Corner has a role to play in helping spark a, a renaissance in mm-hmm. Tutoring education that involves hands-on falling in love with and getting access to technology all at the same time. So that's the educational equity side. Um, And then the economic, uh, the economic equity side um, really formed from that former offender job training, right? Um, Again, if we go back to love neighbor as you love yourself, right? Uh, Most of us, if we're being honest, would say we're pretty obsessed with our own economic future. Um, And Jesus doesn't say, don't, he says, love yourself, love your family, but apply that same dedication to your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in Nashville, like most cities, we have major income inequality um, that fall along historic uh, neighborhood lines, racial lines. Um, And so we are committed to developing on-ramps to opportunity for um, neighbors who have historically um, been underestimated. Mm -hmm. uh, And when, we, when the economy really started heating up in Nashville, we put away the former offender job training because those neighbors were like, I can get a bad job on my own right now, right? Like the economy in Nashville was so good that you could get $9 an hour. But those same neighbors were saying, I don't have enough to get through the month because the city is getting so expensive. Uh, and that's when we found and licensed a nationwide curriculum um, that was already in use in about 80 cities. And we launched our first cohort of the academy um, which equips underestimated entrepreneurs with the tools they need to plan, start, and then grow their own small business. Uh, and that's the program uh, that Shana first came to uh, after a local businesswoman, Mignon, uh, you know, posted about us and put an ad out for us. Um, and now Shayna is the director of the Academy and can tell you all the wonderful things that she's doing. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that warm
1: introduction. Yeah. You're so,
2: welcome. um, the Academy started in 2016 with one location. This year, we'll have 10 virtual locations. And it started with about, you know, 15 to 18, right? will graduates, something on those lines.
1: Uh, there were 13 in the first cohort. Oh,
2: 13 graduated
1: grad- that made it through.
2: Yes. Yeah, so last year we graduated about 140 entrepreneurs and this year we're looking to graduate 200 entrepreneurs and those entrepreneurs are underestimated entrepreneurs. So again, that we believe that all people have God given talents, drives and passions, but they don't all have the opportunity to live out those things out loud. And so what we want to do is just create on ramps of opportunity and lower those barriers to entry. And we do that through- so, another- I'm sorry,
0: Shana, to interrupt you. Um, so you call them underestimated entrepreneurs. Yes. Is that, is that the word? Yes. And
1: what that means- that, That's that's our favorite phrase uh, because so many of the phrases that are often used in nonprofits um, start from a position of pity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we think about this far more like that person who you, you weren't looking at them, but they're about to dunk on you. You know, um, kind of underestimated vibe. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Anything you would yeah. add to that, Shana? <laughs>
2: yeah, um, I, I wouldn't use the dunk analogy, but I think that's a good one.
1: I think <laughs> you, you can know, cut the dunk analogy. Let's cut. Yeah. Let's scrap the dunk analogy. No,
2: we, we're with the dunk analogy. I, I,
1: I would care. dunk on some people. I mean, <laughs> if given a trampoline.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, underestimated because it's not that they don't have everything that they need in the sense of having agency and having a great idea and having the intellect. They, what, what our community is missing is the opportunity and the things are not taken into account. When you look at statistics of black, about black businesses or the success of black businesses or how 41% of black businesses closed in COVID is going to be the fact that they have, Less resources is going to be the fact that they had less opportunity and awarding of things like PPP. Like they had less of what makes small businesses successful. Mm -hmm. And our job and what we constantly think about and what we're obsessed about at Corner Corner is to say, how can we give our neighbors and friends more of what everybody else has? More of the opportunities that exist in this world more of the education and the support and the mentorship. And so the first thing that we all need is just like a house, is a foundation. That's what the academy does. It's a 10-week program and we license a curriculum. And in that program, we talk about your customer, your mission, accounting, legal, the foundation of a good business, the mindset, the understanding. And we give you the tools to do that. So it's not like you need to have a good accounting system. We talk about QuickBooks, we bring in guest speakers who can tell you about accounting, who can tell you good accounting practices. We widen your social network because we know your network, it determines your network. And so once you have that good foundation, we then have a class called the Academy Amplified, which is for graduates. And we then ask you like, where is your greatest need? Is it a mentorship where you can have accountability or someone who's done it before who can give you direction Is it in the fact that you need a Shopify because you sell products and we teach you how to make a Shopify? Is -hmm. it that you need a contract or you need to file a trademark? We have a lawyer, um, a pro bono lawyer program. Is it in the fact that you need a $2,000 piece of equipment because you make t-shirts and you have to pay for the printing. Well, we have a promissory note program that we're rolling out, right? So we're seeing where they have greatest need and we're helping to aid that along again, to make their business successful and to make it grow. And so they can be in control of their own destiny and their own legacy. And so the academy really is something that has has grown. So many people ask me about how does the academy grow and what is it? We have a lot of word of mouth um, communication because people have such positive experiences with it they tell their neighbors they tell their friends and it doesn't have to be you know you want to start the next million dollar company you may want to supplement an income you may want to buy something specific you may want to save money or to try out an a idea with a, a low cost of entry We welcome all types of businesses from all entrepreneurs, underestimated entrepreneurs, so they could be successful in their own right and really have that self-confidence and autonomy
0: to be successful in life as a whole. So amazing. So people coming into the class, do most of them have an idea that they want to, you know, kind of germinate and build out or talk? And if you can give me some specifics of just some um, businesses that have been brought up through the Academy.
2: Yeah, you wanna go first, Will, or you want me
1: to? I'll go first with a couple of stories of businesses. Um, Well, first there's the moment we knew we had something, right, because we're a big, what I would describe as an agile nonprofit. Like we wanna iterate and try things and scrap programs if they're not meeting the needs Mm -hmm. of our community, um, or they're no longer partnered with the community, right? Like that, those kind of things happen. And so we want to put them aside um, if that, if that's what's going on. Um, and so when we started with uh, the Academy, we didn't know if it was going to work until the first graduation celebration we had. And we should say our graduation celebrations, like our last in-person one pre-COVID had over 500 people. Like it's this massive block party. Um, it's so, so encouraging. Um, but that first one had maybe 40 people, right? Um, and 13 graduates. But one of the the speakers was a a graduate of the class who got up a 13-year-old girl who was making buttons and um, custom greeting cards to try to get her peers to talk to each other offline. Um, And she had this beautiful story about, you know, what she's trying to do to connect with the hearts of her peers, but that she also wants to sell 100 units by the end of Q4. Um, You know, and you hear this this 13-year-old girl express this, And instantly, this businesswoman from the community stood up and said, I'm buying your first 100 units tonight. (laughs) And then a second person stood up and was like, and I'm buying your second. So she sold 200 units that night and far exceeded her goals. Um, Well, also on stage with her that first night was uh, a guy named Marcus who wanted to launch um, a boutique kind of uh, soul food restaurant that blended Um, the best of Nashville's history, with also this moment of it being its city. Um, But he didn't have um, the funding to launch a brick and mortar just then, right? So he did what we teach in the class, start small so you can start now. And he launched a catering business. And just week over week, year after year, this was his side hustle that he was growing, growing, growing. And then this past fall, his brick and mortar, right before COVID, right? This was, uh, yeah, October 2019. Wow. Uh, He launches his business. And then COVID happens, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I get a call from him last year and I thought it was gonna be one of those phone calls of, man, I just can't hang during COVID, you know? Um, but instead he said, Will, we have pivoted so well to takeout, and we're doing so great that I want to scholarship five more restaurant students um, into the academy this fall. Um, and so he went from, again, he was on that stage in 2016 mm-hmm. and now, his restaurant is thriving and he's opening a boutique cocktail lounge. Um, is his next business. He's got the property, he's doing the build out. So it's, uh, there's amazing stories. Tony is another favorite of mine because um, Tony uh, was already a hero. He was the first black firefighting captain named in the city of Nashville, right? So he's a hero every day uh, at his job. Um, but he also wanted to be a hero to his daughter specifically and show them what it looked like to build something and own something, right? So he came to the academy to launch his business called 360 Inventory Solutions, which gave you your home or your business a full inventory of your property so that in the event of a fire or flood, you could get paid out by insurance quickly. Cause he'd seen so many families go from this terrible fire tragedy to this you know, bureaucratic nightmare where they don't get to rebuild. And so he saw that problem. He was stepping into the marketplace and he wanted to be a hero to his daughter, show this, right? Well, he came through the program, did amazing. He launched from us and then went to the next level to grow it with the Entrepreneurship Center, which does more high level scaling here in Nashville. We connected him there. He starts going there and he calls me uh, and says, hey, I want to get one of those giant checks and come to an academy class and donate 100% of my first sale to corner to corner, because I just closed my first deal. Um, so he ended up, but he wanted to make a big deal. He wanted to show others what he was doing. So he's a hero to our community. And I thought, honestly, the story was going to end there. And then six months ago, he hits me up that he's donating his kidney to his sister. And I'm just like, you you are the best of us. you know. Um, and these are the people who are part of this community. It's uh, We feel incredibly fortunate. Um, to get to be a small part of it.
0: Mm, so good. So amazing. Chana, you got a story for me of a graduate? We'll, we'll give you the, our, our heavy, <laughs> heavy hitter, you
2: know. Ooh. But I, I think it's important to know that our graduates are diverse in their desires and who they are. So we have, I had a student who was a grandmother who had inherited her grandchildren
0: mm.
2: and she wanted to make sure that they could do ballet and football. She was like, you know, I just want to make a, I just want to make enough to where I can pay for these extracurriculars and really give them a full childhood experience. Mm -hmm. And we find that just as valuable as someone who's scaling million dollar businesses, because she's being able to define what works for her family and her lifestyle. And we have women or people really who enroll in our class. I think the oldest we've had was about 70 years old and she retired. And she decided like back when I was younger, She would tell me, because I was 30 and I was her facilitator, and she always laughed and was like, it's so funny to me that a 30-year-old can teach me so much. And she said, when I was younger, all all we could be as Black women were seamstresses or housekeepers. And so she was actually a seamstress all the way up until 70. And she said, and now I want to do things that I want to do. I want to learn more. I want to get involved. And so that just really shows the power of community, that you're never too young. You're never too old. We had a 13-year-old, a 70-year-old.
0: And so really... um interested to know what the 70 year old is pursuing as her. her she year. honestly, she, and she's doing great. She, she
2: emailed, she texts me, she not emailed, She texts me from time to time, but she's actually a gene, the genealogist. So she did a, a, um, history of her family
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it, it is really challenging to do for black families because it's hard to find information, but she did one for me and she found a picture of my mom from high school and she's like, is this your mom? And I was like, I don't know, actually. <laughs> So I showed it to my mom, I was like, I think that is me, very long time ago. And so she's actually doing that for a lot of different, she did it for the history of her church. She was commissioned to do a history of her church. Um, She's done it for a couple other people. So we keep in touch via text. And that is a longer process, right? But she found that that is what's fulfilling to her. And she found a way to make a business doing that and learned a lot about Black history, Nashville Black history, and really what that means to a greater The greater nation how we've really changed and progressed how our country is is ran and and race relations and the things that black that black people have been able to do in the country so it's been a really fun experience to watch her uncover those things
0: that's so cool. So I'm sure that there's relationships and camaraderie that that exists between the classes, too. Oh, yeah. Probably really cool to watch that develop.
2: Yeah, it it has been more challenging on, in COVID, but it's it's yeah. great to hear people say, I loved my teachers or I've, I was there when a teacher actually met one of her students in person. And we did like a social distance photo shoot headshot night so that I have some digital assets and they were like, oh, my gosh, hi. And so that you have this um, heart and affinity towards each other, but even in person, I led a class, and actually my class got together and sponsored three students who went through the program. After them, they all pull their money because they had such a good experience. They keep in touch. One of my students is a photographer for um, a balloon artist that we have, who's really successful. She goes and takes the pictures for his for his business. So we have a lot of overlap and people who have found community and working together in business and in friendships.
0: Mm, cool. So is there kind of a shark tank
1: part of this program where they they pitch? Is yeah, that- Will, you want
2: to talk about the pitch contest?
1: Yeah, um, we do. Um, well, let me, let me say first, um, it's important to understand that we have a very distinctly um, Christian ethic um, or distinct Christian ethic in the way we approach business. And what I mean by that is, we don't like weave Bible verses in so that by week three, we're talking about, you know, marketing and we're like, you know, who was a good salesman was Jesus. Um, And the reason we intentionally don't have that approach is because historically programs have been interwoven with um, a more overt evangelical messaging. And the community has experienced that as you want me as a mission project and not as a neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, we think sharing the truth about Christ is awesome. And absolutely we should be having gospel-centered conversations, but we also wanna build long-term relational trust, right? Um, so that, that's kind of how we approach things. So when it comes to like the Christian ethics of a business program, we are really upfront um, that we want to um, support you and walk with you, not because we think your idea is incredible and that's what earned you a spot here. We're saying, no, no, you're a neighbor. You were made in the image of God. You were amazing, period. So we want the set we're teaching you is for whatever idea the market responds to or that you wanna pursue, right? Um, and so that shapes how we do our pitch contest, which is not Shark Tank, like get up there, be vulnerable and then be critiqued, right? And told, uh-huh. here's the nine reasons why this thing won't scale to China, right? Um, we instead have a pitch contest where, um, like I remember one gentleman, he started to lose his place and he just froze and he's in front of 500 people, right? Um, the most people he's ever been in front of in his life. And, you know, instead of getting booze or awkward, I uh, feel bad for him, right? Instantly, people were like, you got this. We love you. Just cheering and encouraging. And you saw his posture change, right? He went from like, I'm having this fearful moment just suddenly emboldened and lifted up by his community. Yes. And so that is what's different um, in the way that we we encourage um, our, our community to form around each other, and mm. then also to elevate each other with your idea, not elevate the idea at the expense of the individual.
0: Mm. That, is, that is so awesome. And I don't know at what point business kind of got that reputation of being like cutthroat and, you know. I got to take you down so that I can rise up. And it's not necessary. you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. So for yeah. you guys to be leading with, with love and faith at the center and just belief in humanity. And, you know, sometimes it just takes somebody saying, I believe in you. You can do this, you know, because a lot of times, especially when you're, you know, giving a creative idea. Especially to non-creative people, a lot of times they can be like, you want to do what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you have to, you have to have people, you have to have that safe place where, you know, you can, you know, you can kind of talk it out and figure it out. So I just, yeah. I that, love this idea so much.
2: Yeah. And we found that our students have been wildly successful on their own terms. I mean, last year we put about $8 million back into the neighborhood economy. So it's, it's not Wait, wait, say that again. That
0: is <laughs> yeah. unbelievable.
2: It is, it is. Last year, our graduates businesses put about $8 million back into the neighborhood economy. And, so and that, that's,
1: those aren't our numbers. Those numbers are based on the Small Business Administration of the US government. That's their annual report card um, statistics. And right. seven of seven of our um, statistically significant measurement tools that we use with Vanderbilt University, they're one of our partners, we saw significant growth across seven indicators that we measure. Um, so this isn't just like a feel-good vibe program. It's actually backed by real financial impact right. um, and real social social measurements.
0: Mm. Yeah, and then then you have the whole quality of life thing that you really can't measure. <laughs> yep. You know, and I would just I would just happen to think that those people just have to be living life on a different you know, on a different plane because they are, you know, they're being productive and um, chasing their dreams and being successful and making things happen. It's just so incredible. So tell me what's next for Corner to Corner.
1: Uh, Shane has taken my job uh, (laughs) physically, physically arm wrestling it away from me. No, um, we're, uh, we're deeply committed to, um, uh, racial justice. Um, we have we actually have a program called The Coalition that is specifically designed to um, create a space both online and in person when we're able to, um, to uh, walk through the racial history in the U.S., the racial history in the church using tools like Jamar Tisby's Color of Compromise um, book, where we really try to walk with our neighbors, um, specifically our white neighbors, to teach them what it means to be an ally versus a savior right? Um, And to form um, bonds of community that can weep together and rejoice together and work on repentance um, and not kind of this thin reconciliation that's become like, let's just move on, right? That's kind of what reconciliation has become a shorthand for, um, unfortunately. Um, And so we have that program that goes really deep in that, and and that's led by Tiffany and some others um, in our community. Um, But because of that deep commitment, we also um, wanted to model uh, what does it look like um, to um, get out of the way um, and have more of the amazing talent from the community take over and lead. Um, and we're doing that along all roles, right? like we we're hiring uh, another graduate of the academy. she starts later this in February and she's becoming the director of our alumni support, you know. Um, so we're we're doing that on all levels. but the next logical conclusion was, Man, Shana should be the executive director of Corner to Corner um, for a million different reasons, including <laughs> her talent and passion, um, and also to say to other white-led organizations, hey, um, we think it's really important that if you are serving primarily a minority community, that you look at your board and you look at your C-suite, um, and it's never we you know it's never a question of if the talent and skill is there; it's always a question on of uh, who wants to. Um, share power right who wants to share influence versus who wants to figure out how to box people out Shannon, did i say that well you're taking my job is the long and short of it <laughs> yeah, anything you want to add about your aggressive takeover maneuver
2: yeah <laughs> basically it's, it's like a wrestling move from the 90s how i'm mm-hmm. taking over um, but you know i think i think community it looks like everybody working towards the same goal and being able to know when to lead and when to follow when to pivot when to change and so that's what I'm most proud about our our organization is you know it's not just Will and I we have other coworkers, and a lot of the times even in our own even with the academy I know that I don't have all the skills I have a coworker who is extremely organized and has great forethought and I lean to her for her opinion advice on a lot of things that help me and vice versa because we have different skills and we have um And our skills can raise each other up. So that's really what's next for us is to see how can we help our community rise with leaning into each other's strengths um, and building on those things. And then also just growing the academy. Um, Will can give us the the numbers, but Nashville has so many different spaces where entrepreneurship for for Black-owned businesses can grow. And we haven't even scratched the surface of what it means to have equitable um, entrepreneurship and equitable equity and economy in Nashville. And so we're really pushing to that. And then at least for me, I have a lot of other communities and Will does as well that's kind of reaching out trying to see how they can replicate that in their in their spaces and parts of the world. And so we want to be good partners with our neighbors from different states to help mm-hmm. them reimagine how their community can grow as well.
0: So Will, what well, what's next for you then? If you're if you're turning over the reins to to Shana, I know you have something Yeah.
1: Herkling. He's moving to Tahiti don't worry about it. No. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I've got an exit plan exit strategy with that nonprofit cash. Um that's a joke to anybody listening. There is no such thing as nonprofit exit strategy. Um no I um uh there's a there's a group here called Nashville um, Institute of Faith and Works based on kind of some Tim Keller you know connecting the theology uh, of the workplace into your daily life. And they've done a really good job here in Nashville, mobilizing um, business leaders and career leaders um, and connecting their Sunday life with their Monday through Friday life. Um, and not just in the old school kind of like, you're gonna start a Bible study at your office, but really in like, hey, um, the before the fall, we were working in the garden, right? What role does work and being a creative force have in your life? Um, And using them as a model, they're cohort based, Um, we're looking to launch something that we're tentatively calling the Word and Deed Coalition, which is essentially saying, hey, churches, you spend so much money and resources and staffing and time and books and materials trying to get your congregation involved in small groups, right? And the average church is hitting about 40% of small group engagement. Um, but meanwhile, those same churches maybe do once a month missions month and see 2% of their people or less engaged in weekly um, service to the community. Um, and so it, it'd be a little bit like, um, you know, Jesus gives a sermon on the mount and then tells his disciples to sit around and talk about his sermon while he goes down and feeds everybody. Right. Uh, yeah. That's not how Jesus rolls. It's It's word and deed combined. And so it's this would be a cohort based uh, program where we invite church uh, leaders um, and community members to go through a year long intensive on getting a theology of love of neighbor and connecting the dots that discipleship that's formed around reading scripture. uh, That's one side of the coin. The other side is living that out in community action Mm -hmm. um, and really connecting the dots and, and calling the church to what I would say is a more robust understanding and living out of the gospel um the gospel is not simply deed or sorry the gospel is not simply word it is also deed right. um so yeah
0: and i think um well-meaning people just have a hard time they know they should be doing that i would think yep. god's probably stirring in their their heart but they just have a hard time making that connection to absolutely you know my pastor andy stanley always says what breaks yeah. your heart you know so yeah. We all have something that breaks our heart. So yeah. find that thing and get connected.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, part of it is, um, I think we, we, again, your average church is not assuming that people are gonna form their own small groups and buy the right Bible study material, and right? They they equip them to do that. They build bridges and infrastructure, right? To make sure that happens. But we don't see the same thing happen with local ministry and even international ministry right but our focus is going to be local and so we're essentially saying hey if you want to see your people do this let's build that infrastructure together um um and so we'll see i we're we're in early dialogues um, i'm also gonna i'm gonna step away from executive director and just be a founder who does fundraising um as well so i i can help um take that a little bit off of uh Shana's plate while she is um remodeling corner to corner from the ground up
0: with a little bling and just kidding furniture.
1: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> with some with some really yeah. fancy yeah
2: we're stepping up our fashion game for sure that's that's the first thing. Yeah, i
1: i wear like an old hoodie and you know a bland mask i'm just not cutting it anymore yeah
0: well you guys, this has been such an amazing conversation. I just uh, wish you both so well and am very excited to continue following uh, corner to corner and both of you. And um, thank you for just doing such amazing work in our communities and our world. And um, yeah, just lifting people up to a, to a higher level. It's, um, it's amazing. Thank, thank you. you. So, how do people if if they want to learn more about corner to corner what's the best way to get in touch uh
1: yeah corner to corner.org is our website uh and that's to corner not the number two corner Um, and then our instagram we're very active on instagram it is uh just at corner to corner
2: we also have a youtube page that we um, have a series about.
1: I wasn't trying to overwhelm them. We got so much They they need
2: to know. Some people, I love YouTube, so I'm (laughs) all about it. And we're actually doing a series about this executive director takeover. So we would love some ideas about what people want to see, but our YouTube is youtube.com slash corner T-O corner. Love it.
0: Love it. Thank you both. Pretty amazing stuff, huh? Wouldn't you agree? And I think I get so excited about organizations like this that are faith-based, but they're just really out there on the edge, taking Jesus' words to heart and moving love into action. So I love what Will said. The gospel is not only word, it's deed. It's not about going to church on Sunday and sitting in a row or pew. It's about finding something that lights up your heart and then moving that into action. So I love what they're doing with underestimated entrepreneurs. And um, maybe the challenge for you in this episode is to get connected with the nonprofit. Pretty much, um, especially organizations like this, need mentors and they need people to come alongside and to volunteer and to give and to serve. So I love what they're doing in Nashville. Check them out at cornertocorner.org, and um, send them some love, y'all. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.